Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Garrett of Saturday Down South believes so, as he joins us now on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Had a great write-up dealing with this very issue about KJ and Enos and the connection that they will have. So let's go ahead and welcome him in. And Connor, I appreciate you joining us, man, as always. How you doing? I'm doing well. I was actually just Googling John Neighbor's salary. Um, was trying to figure out if I could get some inside information on that. Uh, no no results just yet, so I think you're in the clear. Yeah, well, keep trying, man. Keep trying. It won't be enough. It won't be a right number. It's always going to be lowballing it there, too. Uh, but, no, it, it's it's great, man, to obviously have you on. And uh, we know, again, spring football here in Arkansas has ended. But just talk to us about your, your write-up about K.J. Jefferson and Dan Enos because – this is something I think is not necessarily worrisome because Rod Razorback fans were tired of Kendall Bryles or looked forward to moving, having him move on. But then it's like you get Enos, who has been here before. He's gone to other places. But it's just a very interesting marriage that could come together. But you feel like you're convinced more than ever that it's exactly what's going to work out for KJ. Why is that the case? I think at this stage of his career, it's what he needs. And I think it's what Arkansas needs as a whole. Last year, what do we talk about? When Arkansas had a less than 100% KJ Jefferson, it was a different team. And if you're going to preserve the, the short and long-term health of KJ, which is the most important thing for Arkansas staying afloat in the SEC West, well, you need a scheme that's going to allow them to do that. And I, I think we forget that even though the Kendall Bryle scheme, it, it yielded some great results and it allowed KJ to grow into the player that he is today. And he's not my number one quarterback in the SEC, if not for some of the things that we saw him do in the Kendall Bryle's offense. But at the same time, I think we forget about how many hits he takes when he's not even the primary ball carrier and he keep, and he's you know giving the ball up on his own read. And those add up. KJ looks like a guy last year who was really banged up. And I don't know if anybody charts that out there. I'd, I'd like to think somebody does. Maybe I'll have to talk to my buddies over at PFF and see if we can get that as a running stat. But KJ takes a lot of those hits. And you see even in the spring game, wait a minute, KJ's going to operate under center and be able to hand off the ball a little bit more traditionally. He said that, you know, he told the SEC Network crew, I'm actually starting to like going under center more than shotgun, which is a crazy thing for for KJ to, to say maybe part of that is because he doesn't have to take all those hits. So the zone reads is still going to be part of the offense. What do you know he's going to try and do? It'd be foolish if he didn't try and do that. But I, I just look at little things like that. I, I wonder, you know, given, you know, uh, when you complement that with what, what Danny Enos has done with quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Sweet Tunga Bailoa, I, I just wonder if that's going to yield the best possible version of KJ at this stage of his career. So by going under center, is this something that you think just develops his game even further where it, it gets them more prepared for the next level. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. You're going to have to do that to a certain extent. Now, you know, college and NFL systems, they're more synonymous than ever. But at the same time, you have to be able to read things in a different sort of way. And you're not going to operate at that same tempo in the NFL. And that's part of the reason why Sam Pittman feels comfortable making this move now. And it's going to be interesting to see we have so often – in this, in this Arkansas offense under Kendall Bryles, the defense is reacting to what they're doing. And it's the defense who's making the last-minute substitution to get the right personnel in the field, to be able to, to make whatever sort of adjustments as, you know, as they see fitting. And instead, you're going to have some situations where K.J. actually gets to, to survey the defense and kind of make up his mind based on that instead of post-snap, oh, what's the safety doing? Oh, what's the defense then doing? 
And I think that he's capable of doing that. Now, there are some things that he's going to have to continue to work on. He talked about that. You know, you got to get the footwork down. It's, it's a different way to play the position. And you're going to see the game differently. But I, I think that he's capable of, of taking that on and, and being a little bit more versatile offensively. I think it's going to bode really well. Well, and I think that's something that maybe people don't consider is we see changes at offensive coordinator positions all the time in major college football when the quarterbacks are retained. But a lot of times it may go with similar styles or try to keep at least the same uh, overall creativity in the same offense with a new guy. But in this case, it, it's not like going completely and totally different, but there are pretty distinct differences. I think that's maybe where people are like, how is KJ going to handle going from Kendall Brawl's offense where he's been under there for three seasons long and it's really all he knows in college football to suddenly a seasoned veteran, a guy who has a lot of uh, experience and talent, being switching it up and being in this new offense, like how how is he going to adjust to that, and is it going to take a while for him to adjust to that? It could take a little bit. I mean, there could be some growing pains. There, there absolutely could be. And and Will Rogers is somebody that's going through something kind of similar with what they're doing, transitioning from the Mike Leach air raid, which is truly one of one. I know air raid is something that's talked about a lot in football vernacular now, but the Mike Leach air raid, the high volume passing, and the way that teams defend it, it is truly one of one. You know, going from that scheme to what Kevin Barbe is going to run a little bit more pro style, they're going to have a little bit of pistol incorporated to what they're doing. Uh, Mississippi State's out here actually using tight ends, these things that they haven't had in the 2020 decade. And you see two quarterbacks who are extremely experienced and have a bunch of reps against SEC competition. And you can say at this stage of their careers, okay, how are we going to be able to incorporate this and make you better to help us, to give us more versatility, maybe help you get to that next level? and maybe answer some of those questions. And I think that's what those two guys are going to be in position to do. They're probably going to be considered two of the top three quarterbacks in the SEC coming back this year, kind of depending on the way that things play out, maybe in the portal. But I think that it's going to be a fascinating question to, to, to see those guys answer them. And even if it does come with a couple of those tough games early on, I do think that the results begin. If they're able to stick with it, it, it could end up being the, the best possible result. How does Dan Enos' track record of some of the quarterbacks he's worked with play into this? I, I think it's, and I've been saying this for a while, I, I think it's really underrated what he did with Jalen Hurts in 2018. And I say it's underrated because he wasn't the offensive coordinator. He's not the primary play caller. Those duties were to Mike Loxley and, and Josh Gaddis. So depending on who you ask, I know those two got into a bit of a dispute about who was actually calling plays. Mike Loxley was the one who won the Broyles Award. So the Broyles Award, so I'll defer to him. But, Dan Enos, when he was Jalen Hurts' quarterback coach in 2018, you saw a different player that year. And it was being able to work with him on some of those things that we were just talking about, on the footwork, on seeing the field differently post-snap, and being able to understand the why and all those different things where, like, when Jalen Hurts was coming into those games in 2018, he was moving the chains with his arm in a way that he wasn't in the first two years of his career wherein he had a lot of success. So you look at it from, from that standpoint, what he did there, and I think what he's done with Talia Tungvaluwa has gone largely under under notice, I, I think, nationally. I mean, the guy has set a bunch of records, a bunch of program records at Maryland, and he was somebody that had a lot of issues early in his career, kind of figuring out that, that speed, being able to, to read defense, not just defaulting to what he knew, despite the talent, despite, obviously, we know he's got some good bloodlines, but I, I think that Dan Enos, his track record is going to bode really well, and I think that's why Sam Pittman made that call. He made that call and, and, and put that, that word in before Kendall Bryles even went to, to TCU. And he was doing that when he was flirting with Mississippi State. Hey, he did that for a reason. 
and, and I think having this on offensive vision in mind was was ultimately the goal. See with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. And, and Connor, I know that uh, this upcoming NFL draft, you're going to see quite a few SEC quarterbacks possibly taken in the first round. I think that there was a time where SEC quarterbacks were looked down upon for a period because it's just they seem like they never develop guys and getting them to the next level. But when you're looking at the current state, you look at the current offenses across the entire SEC. Are there particular teams with their offenses that are better built at developing guys, getting them ready for the NFL? Is there places that you look at to say, hey, if you want to be someone who takes it to the next level, go to this school under this offensive coordinator because that's the place you need to be? Yeah, I don't know that there's any one specific school that you could say that because I think a lot of people look at Alabama and say, that. well, that's the obvious one. Look at what they have in the NFL right now. If you want to claim Jalen Hurts for, for Alabama, that, that track record in recent memory looks even better. I think some of that will be, you know, maybe we'll be saying different things if we find out kind of how things go for Tua in the next two years. What does Mac Jones' future look like? Does Bryce Young kind of live up to the hype as the likely number one overall pick? Uh, but I think it's SEC-wide, though. We've seen an influx of these great offensive minds, and that has yielded better quarterback play in the 2020s. Think about this. In the entire 2010 decade, the SEC had three first-round quarterbacks. That's it. And you know all three of them. It's, I mean, it's Cam Newton, it's Tim Tebow, it's Johnny Manziel. This year alone, the SEC might have four if Hendon Hooker comes off the board in the first round. No conference has ever had four quarterbacks taken in the first round. The only time we've ever seen three quarterbacks from one conference go in the first round was the Big 12 back in 2012. This is a historic draft for the SEC. And with different schemes and guys who are in very different situations, and even if it only ends up being those three with those questions, about all three of those top guys, you know, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, I think we'll still look back on this period and say, wow, the, the increase in quarterback talent and the passing game has just gotten so much better in the SEC, and that's why we're seeing these results. Looking at those four quarterbacks that we expect to go high in the NFL draft from the SEC, what's the upside in each one of those quarterbacks? I think when, whenever it maddens me, whenever people talk about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, they're upside. Because to me, I, I think that their upside is, is pretty limited by, the, by their accuracy at this stage of their careers and, and what they have not been able to do at the Power 5 level. Now, I'll give Levis a little bit more of a pass because I think he had a really good stretch in the latter half of 2021. And I, I could point to different things that happened this past year and say, ah, if he's healthy, I think it's a little bit different. And if they actually, you know, had retained Liam Cohen, my doppelganger, as their offensive coordinator, I think he looks different in that scheme. But, you know, I still think that the questions with Anthony Richardson are just so extreme. Like, are we even sure this guy's good at football yet? Like, are, are we truly sure that he is worth a first-round pick at all? Because to me, the track record of those guys, and Michael Calabrese brought this up, it's an interesting point. How many guys have been kind of meh at the Power 5 level who have been drafted in the first round who then went to be, become great quarterbacks? I mean, that that list is like Daniel Jones, maybe. And Daniel Jones is still, you know, jury's still kind of out about him. So, you know, it's really difficult to kind of figure out where in the world all of this love is going to, you know, where in this, where, where in the world all this love needs to come from for those guys. And I understand, like, you get them in a combine setting, a pro day setting, like Anthony Richardson looks like Cam Newton, but I, I just think that's the laziest comparison of the world. It, it, it absolutely drives me nuts. 
I would take Bryce Young and have no issues whatsoever with him, the number one, and then everybody else, I'm kind of like, eh, I can poke holes and find a lot of issues with them. Something we've discussed too, Connor, uh, is dealing with the transfer portal, which mainly we've talked about it with basketball because Arkansas basketball has been all about it. But even in football, uh, spring starts coming to an end. You start seeing guys enter into the portal. And I'm curious your thoughts on it. And I know basketball, football, different sports, different types of sets up. But when it comes to transfer quarterbacks, we've seen guys that have done it in college football. There's some guys that have come into SEC this year even uh, with Kentucky's quarterback, guys like that that have transferred from major programs to be able to add to the mix. If you're a coach – and you're looking at, you know, you need the quarterback position and you need to develop it or whatever, are you always going to lean, maybe lean more towards the transfer portal because you say, hey, I know these guys can play college football. They've been established. I can get them in right now. They're older. Or do you feel like there's there's need, still needs to be a need on bringing in young players, developing them over two to three years, trying to keep them on campus, and once their time is ready, then they can go and get under center? I think it depends who you are. But I will say, if I'm going after a quarterback, I'm not waiting until after spring. I'm making that decision in December. I want these guys on my campus, running my offense, getting those four months to be able to develop. Because if you actually look at the post-spring quarterback editions, like you really can't find a lot that were good from the jump. Now, Joe Burrow is kind of the one that everybody's going to point to, but think back to who Joe Burrow was in 2018 before he exploded a year later. It's really difficult to kind of master that offense. If that's your plan, I would say, ah, man, you're really trying to shoot the moon here. That That is a difficult ask, and it's really difficult when those guys aren't enrolled in spring. But, you know, to a certain extent, like, I think there's a lot of merit to it. I look at what Kentucky's done with Will Levis, obviously coming over two years ago, and what they've recently done to get Devin Leary on board. I mean, Devin Leary's going to be 24 years old in September. This is a guy who's going to be a six-year senior. He was ACC preseason player of the year last year, and he gets hurt in the middle of the season. You got a chance to go get that guy. Go get him, man. Like, you've got two guys that you saw on your own roster that you've tried to develop that did not look the part this past year. If you can go out and get a Power 5 preseason conference player of the year or hope that, you know, the two guys you've had on your in your program the last couple of years are going to be better, like, to me, that, that's an easy decision. I don't think there is kind of a catch-all, an obvious solution. Other programs like Alabama have really not had to go to the transfer portal because of the way that they've developed. Georgia's another one where you're kind of like, ah, they've kind of been a bit more in-house despite the, the JT Daniels, Jamie Newman stuff. I guess that's in benefit transfer, but you get what I'm saying here. I, I, I think that there's a, a different you know set of circumstances for each program, and I think a lot of them have their merits, but if you're going to do it, man, do it. Do it when that window opens in December. Don't wait till after spring. So how does Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin do it where you get – two quarterbacks to transfer in with a returning starter that was a starter for most of the season in Jackson Dart. Now you get Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard to transfer in. Yeah, Lane's one-on-one. Uh, very mm-hmm. unique to be able to pull that off. When he when he, when he made the Walker-Howard move, everybody's kind of like, all right, that, that makes sense. That, that, that is a great move. Somebody that LSU fans were really bummed to see leave because – you know, this is somebody who came in, was probably would have been a five-star when he signed, but he got hurt his senior year of high school. And Lane pulls off this move knowing, okay, I, I only had one scholarship quarterback. Jackson Dart was the only scholarship quarterback. I was going to need to get one. But then when he brings in Spencer Sanders, somebody that's been a four-year starter at Oklahoma State, a former New Year's Six Bowl MVP, you're kind of looking at it and go, oh, okay. And my entire vibe last year was that Lane didn't really like the player that Jackson Dart was. And it was way different than the player that Matt Corral was in year one. But I look at the situation, I'm like, I still think Spencer Sanders is going to end up winning the job. 
even though all the buzz around Ole Miss is that Jackson Dart has looked way improved in the spring. He only had one spring turnover. He had a really solid spring game showing, as did Spencer Sanders, albeit against some base defenses. And, oh, by the way, so did Walker Howard. But they've got some options. Lane has set him up, himself up really, really well. And for a guy who kind of came into the offseason with one scholarship quarterback and a guy that I didn't really think that he liked very much, he all of a sudden has a much better outlook for this year and probably moving forward with Walker Howard. All right, real quick, we got about uh, about 30 seconds here, Connor. So going into the fall, who's your top three quarterbacks in the SEC right now? You just like me to say this all the time. Can I just stop at one? Keep KJ? pumping, yeah. I keep just... pumping in, baby. <laughs> okay, we'll just we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. Uh, KJ one, Devin Leary two, and then Jaden Daniels at three, and then probably Will Rogers at four. I gave you one extra. How about that? There you go. Yeah, it's, I keep forgetting that Will Rogers is still playing. It seems like he's been at Mississippi State because I guess because yeah, Arkansas played him in twenty twenty. That was our first SEC win in forever. And Will Rogers was the quarterback, so yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how long he's been there. But hey, it just goes to show you that year after year and time after time, the SEC continues to improve their quarterback position. There's no question about it. And Connor, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. Enjoy the weekend, man. And football season will be here before we know it. Hopefully, we see you in Nashville for SEC Media Days in July. Love it. Appreciate it, guys. We'll talk soon.